Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I'm your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I was joined by Joe from Rogue Analytics and Performance Consulting to talk Kansas City Chiefs. We break down how the Chiefs find themselves in a unique position now, going from the class of the AFC to almost part of this soft rebuild where they're kind of beating off the Chiefs and the Raiders and the Chargers, all these teams trying to knock them off their AFC West throne. And before that, we talk about how fantasy football, and at least the fantasy football rankings, may inform some of our season-long player props. So let's dive in. As always, we begin with this week's big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? So this week's big idea is that I want to use fantasy football to contextualize the way we're thinking about certain players this year. And why do I want to do this? Because right now, fantasy football is the preeminent way that most people bet on football in this country. It is the most popular fantasy sport. It has largely allowed football to dominate an entire day of the week, to dominate the cultural conversation for months at a time. And it is also sort of the indoctrination machine I think that football is banking on. It is conditioning people to gamble on the games in a way that uh, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I think that at the very least, fantasy football has such a wide cultural footprint that we can look at how players going into the year are being ranked and use that information to identify possible values for the season in terms of season-long totals, potential players to bet on or bet against. A lot of times, regular, non-obsessive football fans are not following the week-to-week details of some of these players. They may have checked out of week by week seven of the following year. Let's say they had a bad fantasy season. They're not necessarily tracking what Jamar Chase is doing in week 14 or week 18, but that just means that when they come back to these fantasy preseason drafts in, let's say, August of whatever the year is, the, the following year, this is the first time they're looking at some of these guys in quite some time. And these preseason rankings, whether they intend to or not, shape a lot of the way that we think about a player. What I want to do here is I want to go through some of the first round guys, some of the projected first round picks that I looked around at various different websites, Fantasy Pros, ESPN, Yahoo, guys who are being projected as high draft picks. And I wanted to identify players who we could possibly bet against. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because one of the notions that really prevails in fantasy football and fantasy football prognosticating is this idea of falling for the new hotness. When I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about guys like Melvin Gordon, his rookie year, Jeremy Hill, uh, Kenyon Drake two years ago. Kenyon Drake traded to the the Cardinals midseason, bursts onto the scene, has a few huge games, right? And people remember them because they were primetime games. But going into the next year, he's now projected as a first-round pick. And you know what? He didn't deliver. He was not a guy who you wanted to be your first-round pick. But because people kind of bought into this notion that he had finally found a system that was really going to optimize his talent, he ends up going in the first round. And he is just another cautionary tale of, of this new hotness coming in, people buying into these narratives, and carrying that over into the following season. So in looking to this coming season, I wanted to identify a few guys who I would call new hotness players. And in doing so, I think there may be some value to be had betting against in terms of season totals. So here were some of the guys I identified. First up, Jamar Chase. 
oh, I know, it's sacrilege, right? This is a guy who is one of the funnest players to watch, bar none, one of the funnest players to watch of the last several years to come into this league. He is a guy who is electric. He gets the ball in his hands. He runs 70 yards. He blows past every defender week in and week out. He had some of the biggest fantasy football games of all time last year as a rookie. So how can I possibly be saying to bet against him, right? Here's why. A lot of his plays were these big, massive yards after the catch explosive plays. And it's not like those aren't necessarily repeatable. We've seen Tyreek Hill do that on a year to year basis. But Tyreek Hill, if you really paid attention to his career, came into the league and sort of initially was this guy who was a big home run hitting stud who did a lot of the same stuff Jamar Chase is doing in terms of making these big explosive plays. But as Tyreek Hill progressed as a talent, he started to have those parts of the field taken away from him. And over the last two to three years, we really saw him progress as a route runner, progress as a guy in the red zone who could get open in a myriad of different ways. He's not the guy who came into the league as this burner, this freakish talent. And Jamar Chase, I think, is an incredibly gifted route runner himself. And we saw that a lot last year. But what I'm betting against here and what what I think I will end up taking a lot of his unders, uh, totals, touchdowns, yardage, all that stuff. And the reason for that is that I don't see him getting a lot more volume. And I think last year he saw 128 targets. If you're really going to be a wide receiver one, a top flight, top five guy in this league, you really need to be seeing at minimum 150 targets. And it's not like there's not an opportunity for him to see more targets this year. Well, I, I recognize that. I recognize that the Bengals spent a lot of the offseason rebuilding their offensive line in part in preparation for providing him with that opportunity to get more targets. But the problem for me with Jamar Chase this year is that this is a guy who really benefited from explosive plays. And if defenses begin taking that away from him, can he adjust and still get that value? Is he still going to see the sort of touchdown numbers and the sort of big yardage numbers if he's not getting those explosive 75-yard touchdowns every week? I think the answer is no. And what really concerns me about a lot of Jamar Chase's totals or why I would be betting on the under for them is not even necessarily about Jamar Chase as a talent. It's about the fact that he's surrounded by two receivers in Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins who are unto themselves very capable receivers who saw a lot of volume last year. We're looking at T. Higgins two years in the league, 110 targets and 108 targets. This is a guy who I don't see those numbers going down. That seems like a baseline for me because he really has come into his own as a receiver as well. And Tyler Boyd is a few years removed from being a thousand yard receiver. This is a number three who's better than a lot of teams number twos and a lot of teams number ones. Tyler Boyd is a very talented receiver who last year saw 96 targets. I understand that there's something of a target vacuum that's been created in the wake of CJ Uzuma leaving. But nonetheless, I have to say, I don't see how Jamar Chase is going to hit a lot of what I can only believe are going to be astronomical total numbers. I think they're going to project Jamar Chase for 14 and a half touchdowns, something like 1300 yards. And I'm taking the under on that all day because I think this is a guy who is very much going to be, in my opinion, a top 10 receiver. But I don't necessarily buy into him being that top three guy that he's going to be drafted in fantasy leagues and where a lot of his player totals are going to be lined up as at the start of the season. Moving on, let's talk about Austin Eckler. I'm betting against Eckler any opportunity I can. And the reason is simple. This is a guy who is not a three down back. He doesn't see the volume there. I understand that now in fantasy, especially you see a lot of these guys who aren't necessarily getting volume, but they're getting high leverage opportunities and high value opportunities. For example, Austin Eckler last year, 18 red zone carries, 18 red zone touchdowns. 
this is a guy who he knew when to get the ball. He knew when to have that opportunity and he made the most of it. Let's just say that he was a guy who got in the end zone when, when the opportunity presented itself. I don't see him repeating those numbers. It's such a tall order to ask somebody to convert those opportunities at such a high rate year in and year out. So Austin Eckler is another guy who I'm betting under on a lot of his rushing totals. He also has durability issues that I don't think this year is going to solve. I, I think he's another year older. I don't necessarily trust him to stay on the field every week. He had injury issues basically every year he's been in the league. So I'm betting against him on a lot of his unders, and and I look at him as a first top three or four pick in fantasy, and I go, what? Why? Yo, you're you're a crazy person if you take him up there. Now, James Conner. James Conner, oh my God, I, I'm so eager to bet the unders on this guy because I really love James Conner as a person, former pit player, former stealer, and he's a guy who's extremely talented, works extremely hard, but he's playing in an offense that I loathe entirely. I think this uh, Cardinals offense is not going to be the explosive offense that we've seen uh, of the last couple of years. And this is another guy who's due for some negative touchdown regression. He was a touchdown machine last year. I think he had 19 on the ground, and he was extremely effective within the red zone. But we've seen him have durability concerns of his own, number one. Number two, I think that this is a team, and the Cardinals is going to be playing a first-place schedule, and we could very much see this team have the wheels start falling off. Between the Kyler Murray drama, Kingsbury being sort of a lame duck, I I know he got an extension, but I think there's some heat on him to really— make this team a contender this year. And now, finally, the last guy I want to talk about in terms of betting against this year based on his fantasy value and seeing him overvalued early preseason is DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is another low-volume, non-three-down back who is going to be projected for big yardage numbers, big totals, and he's another guy who's dealt with durability concerns. He's another guy who has all the talent in the world but can't seem to stay on the field. So any opportunity I have to bet against these low-volume, injury-prone backs and and players, I'm going to take it because I think there's value to be had on betting the unders on these season totals. I think there's so much emphasis put on betting the overs that a lot of times we get caught up in the idea that most of the time these unders are going to win. And the reason for that is that people get hurt in football. There is a lot of injury baked into these totals. So I hope that these stats have been helpful in sort of identifying some trends that may allow you to make some money on season-long totals. When these totals come out, we'll dig a little bit deeper, but I wanted to just talk about four guys who I really think are being overvalued preseason. So remember, don't fall for the new hotness when thinking about fantasy or thinking about season totals. In fact, go the opposite way. Try to make money on people buying into these narratives and take it all to the bank. So with that said, I am now joined by Joe from Rogue Analytics and Performance Consulting. I am joined today by Ryan from Rogue Analytics and Performance Consulting. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Ryan. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So you are here today to talk Chiefs with me. The Chiefs are the preeminent franchise in the NFL this year. They, they've sort of taken over that mantle from the Patriots, the presumptive favorites. But I actually think the Chiefs are in a unique position this year, in part because they sort of zagged when a lot of the rest of the league was zigging in terms of getting rid of Tyreek Hill, um, getting some pieces on defense, and building a team that is, I think, going to look Similar, but in many ways dissimilar from the championship contender they've put together over the last several years. So just big picture, what do you make of this Chiefs offseason? I I think that it's been able to address necessity before it was a dire necessity. That's really been the track record here. 
it wasn't that there was a, a breakup with Tyreek Hill. It wasn't like there was, hey, you're not performing well enough. Obviously, he's one of the best receiver threats in the league. It came down to the fact that he wanted to go back down to Florida. He's from there. His family's there. And eventually, when the Christian Kirk contract came and the Devontae Adams trade and contract, more importantly, came, uh, I think the, the result would have been the same if Devontae Adams had stayed in Great Bay and gotten paid that same contract. It became very apparent that because of the rebuild they have ahead of them on defense, as well as Travis Kelsey and Orlando Brown coming, and obviously the, the Mahomes contract, that it was just too difficult to go over, say, a $20 million a year contract for a wide receiver. And they had to do their best to spread out that cost basis across multiple players, both on offense and on this defense, uh, and get away from that singular player that is so costly that it prohibits you from doing other things that this team is going to need in the future to make sure that you can maintain uh, Patrick Mahomes and his offense within striking distance and having a defense that's supportive enough that they can always be a playoff contender and they can always have a chance to go on a run and get to a Super Bowl. So it's interesting. When I was going through a lot of what the Chiefs had done this offseason, my main takeaway was that they had sort of reached the logical nexus of having one of these superstar quarterbacks. When you have one of these star quarterbacks and they reach the point where they're starting to get paid, you have to make a lot of tough decisions. And it felt to me like in making that Tyreek Hill move and moving off of that contract, despite the fact that he obviously is a major contributor, one of the best receivers in the league, it was an acknowledgement of the fact we recognize that the team that's been competing may not be the pathway forward now that Mahomes is being paid. And now what we need to do is we need to have a competitive offense with just Mahomes and whatever we can scrape together receiver-wise. So how do you feel about that receiver room in the wake of the Tyreek departure? They've done a good job adapting to what they had to do. Um, there are a couple of things that I probably would have done that would have been a, made it a more apt fit for getting three players on the field that are always contributing. But now you've taken some, I think, calculated risks in bringing in veterans that can do part of what you needed in Juju Smith-Schuster, as well as uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that really provides a portion of what Tyreek Hill did. The interesting thing is what defenses have been allowed to do the last couple of seasons is take Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and concentrate them on and let every other pass catcher, every other person that isn't Patrick Mahomes, try to beat them. And you've seen how close that it's come to it. And now they don't have that option. They can double Travis if they want to. But now they can't singular up two other defenders to double another player and effectively slow down the offense to the point that it has trouble putting up points. Now it's hearkening back to what we saw from Patrick in his first couple seasons starting before the emergence of Tyreek Hill being this, this all-encompassing deep threat as well as everything else, where he had games where he spread the ball around to eight, nine, sometimes 10-plus receivers in a given ball game, and he becomes the guy that is directing the, the orchestra here. He's not reacting to what the orchestra is doing to him. He's able to distribute the ball, and that's Patrick at its best. He'll still take shots, but... MVS in particular allows part of that over the top. And I think they went about the draft and acquired one talent that I think actually can give you some of that shifty underneath side to compensate for the other portion of what Tyreek Hill does quite effectively in that short to intermediate area that yak is so important with those two players on the field. Should they both hit and both emerge? Now you have low investment that in the aggregate puts it back together. This, this is somebody in, one Arrowhead Drive has been reading Moneyball again, and they have rebuilt Tyree Kill in three pieces with three different players that you cannot actually have enough defenders to take all of them away like you could with Tyree Kill in one body. 
So one thing that I saw and and I've read up a a little bit about post-draft, post-free agency in terms of the Chiefs offense is this idea that over the last two years, like you said, teams have been actively trying to play that shell too high coverage and take away a lot of the -the over-the-top stuff that made them so explosive early on in the Mahomes tenure. So do you buy that this new version of the Chiefs offense may look a little bit more like the play action heavy um, sort of underneath a lot of yards after catch offense that the Alex Smith Chiefs were really excelling with and and a lot of the other previous Andy Reid teams have excelled with. I think the pendulum will swing back that direction. I don't think it's going to get all the way there. It will be a hybrid bit of both because in the end, you still have sub four, four speed with MVS. You have right at 4-4 speed with Jesus Smith-Schuster. You have McCole Hardman is in the low 4-3s. You still have the speed to take the top off. It's just that it isn't a given effect that every single play you can complete that pass to that person. So I do think it is a bit of both. Like I said, I think they still take their shots. They still design their shots. But in the meantime, they focus on moving the chains. And I don't think this becomes an offense like Alex Smith that was averaging somewhere in the, like I think it was six or six and a quarter yards play. This is still an eight, nine, pushing 10 yards per play team because they're just trying to get first downs and move down the field. So who do you think may be the primary beneficiary from the absence of Tyreek Hill in that offense this year? I know that Kelsey may have uh, more more coverage there, but there's a lot of new faces there, a lot of new receivers who may have that opportunity to step up and step in. I think the most interesting thing is I think everyone will have an opportunity to stake that claim to be that guy. But at the end of the day, I think two guys are going to get the most from it, and that is McCole Hardman, who understands the offense better than anybody else because he's been in it longer than anybody else at the pass catcher's position except for Travis. Unfortunately, Travis is going to get all the attention. It's going to be a tough year for Travis Kelsey owners in fantasy. But I think McCole will get the shots, and I think McCole has matured a little bit as it's gone through a couple of things that he had to really buckle down on. He was able to do at the end of last season. And if he's able to continue that streak, I think he will actually excel – given those opportunities. But the guy that I think really comes in and makes a barnstorm statement is Sky Moore because I don't think defenses are going to respect him. I don't think they're going to care where he is. They're going to take away what they know is a D-threat in MBS, what they know is kind of a um, jet action underneath, don't let him get away from you guy in Hardman, and that workman first down kind of generator in Juju. I think the guy that they can't account for is going to be Sky Moore And when they do shift to it, then the running backs are getting involved. And it is going to be whack-a-mole for most defenses this season. So how do you see that backfield shaking out in terms of they brought in Ronald Jones? They have this underwhelming backfield over the last several years. Um, I believe they they let Darrell Williams walk. Is that correct? They did. Yeah. So I think Darrell Williams is actually an underrated piece of that offense over the last several years. He's an incredible blocker on third down. He really evolved into quite a receiver uh, in the absence of, of other players there. So I'm curious how you see that backfield shaking out this year. I think they're going to try to get back to what they saw with Clyde Edwards-Alaire on college film and let him take more of those passes. We've been waiting for that. A lot of people that analyze this team have been screaming for it for two seasons, but it hasn't evolved yet. Now, we did recently find out in the offseason that he has had some significant injuries that precluded him from training last offseason that kept him really on the bench for quite a bit, and I think that slowed his progress. I think they make a concerted effort early to get him the ball in the pass game and see if they can rekindle that. I do think the screen game is going to be important for his development this season. But if not, they're going to try to get it to Rojo. And I think that there's there's enough precedence there that you feel like you can get him the ball and he'll be able to do some things with it. But they are definitely searching for another pass-catching threat that can still hold up on third down when he has to stay in and block. That's going to be the question. They like what they saw in Derek Gore. 
I just don't know the level of confidence yet. What has he done this offseason to make himself better? That will be the big question for Derek Gordon this year. And then the rookie Isaiah Pacheco, who I think brings a lot of attitude, uh, a lot of moxie, and a guy that wants, unfortunately, to go hit people rather than run away from people. we we got to train him up in the NFL. You run away from the defenders. Um, but in that sense, he's also a guy that brings a lot of physicality, and I think he will be uh, someone that can stay in there and throw down when it needs a little bit of pass protection. And I look to see whoever can make themselves more versatile in this offense will get that shot, but I believe it will be CEH first. So one thing that I was looking at in projecting this season was the idea that with this new reshape in Chiefs offense, there seems that there's almost no way to me that if Clyde Edwards Hilaire can stay healthy, that he's going to catch any less than 40 balls, 40 or so balls. And I was looking at his stats the last couple of years, 36 his rookie year, only 19 last year, which really stood out to me. And part of that was in watching the Chiefs was that he couldn't really establish himself on third down. And a lot of those passing situations, they just trusted other guys more. So what do you think of this notion of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire possibly catching 40 or more balls this year? I think it's right on the borderline. I think that's their goal. Um, I do believe that his rookie season was to be the baseline for him to try and step that forward. Now, the injury that wasn't really divulged until the offseason, I think that played a role, but that wasn't all of it. So there was something else going on there. And I think the the shock of losing that Super Bowl and coming back into a season early last season where uh, the defenses are playing deep all the time and you should be able to just dump it off and let it go. There was this hesitation, particularly on the part of, of the all-world quarterback, that I still need to do my thing. I think that played into it. So it is about maturity, not only on Clyde's part, but on Patrick Mahomes' part as well. Absolutely. I think a lot of times with these Mahomes, Russell Wilson types, we see the intent or the inclination to extend the play. And a lot of times you have to talk yourself out of that in checking down to these running backs. So I I think what you said there is really prescient in terms of I think Mahomes is really going to need to mature as a passer in order to take that next step to trust his guys enough to believe in them to get the ball down the field if he's dumping it off to him. And and accept a four yard gain and move on to the next play. Yeah. Mahomes came into the league as such a home run hitter. It's likely difficult for him to then transition to say, dude, a base hit's okay. Base hit gets you on base, man. So now in in projecting the Chiefs team overall next year, I've seen the over-under on them next year is 10 and a half. There are a lot of moves made in that division outside of the Chiefs, especially with the Chargers, uh, the Broncos bringing in Russell Wilson and the Raiders. So big picture in that division, how do you see that division shaking out this year? I think it's be a really tight. And given that there's seven teams that are going to make the playoffs, I think three of them could come from the AFC West. I, I totally agree. I, I really like what the Raiders have done in particular. And I think that because of the Russell Wilson noise, their offseason has really gone a little bit under the radar. I think the biggest question for the Chiefs coming into this year is really how scared are you of the Chargers? This is a Chargers team that they had the hot young coach. They have the the next man up in terms of superstar quarterbacks, and they gave them a run for their money at least both times they played last year. They beat them the first time. They had that overtime thriller the second game. So I'm curious how you're feeling going into this year with a team that seems to be on the ascent, nipping at your heels as kings of the AFC. It's the Chargers. They've been on the ascent forever. I mean, (laughs) the day that Derwin James and everyone on offense plays 12 games in a season, I'll start to be concerned. But in all honesty, before that, you're right. On paper, the matchup is there. And quite frankly, the guy who goes under the radar is Mike Williams, who's had his way with the Chiefs secondary in years late. But they've gone a long way towards rebuilding that. And I do think that we're going to see a shift in the way that they play them so that they don't get taken apart as much as they have been by Williams in particular. Uh, They drafted Trent McDuffie, who's going to play on the outside and who is going to be a starter on this roster. He's given them not only a couple of inches in height, but definitely a couple inches in arm length. And so that shifts the way that you have to defend that player in particular. 
Everybody wants to rave about Keenan Allen. And Keenan Allen does not scare me. He doesn't scare the Kansas City Chiefs or the rest of the AC West because he's got to do something with the ball in his hand in order to be productive in that offense. And that's where you can catch up to him. And I, I think his overall skill is pretty overrated, to tell you the truth. I hope oh. the Chargers uh, expert agrees. This is sacrilege. Oh, yeah. This is sacrilege. Yeah, I am a I I am a man of the Church of Keenan Allen. Uh, and so so you you believe that he's an overrated talent. Tell I me do. why. I need to know. I believe Cameron Sutton's a better player. Interesting. Interesting. That is just the fact because he can beat you in multiple ways. Route running, Keenan Allen is is not to be contested. That's fair enough. Now that Tyreek Hill is out of this division, he is the best route runner in the division. But I do not trust him to play clutch. I do not trust him to go over the top. I do not trust him to be the guy that changes the game. I think Williams is the bigger player in bigger pressure situations. Whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't even play Mike Williams. He does every time they got to beat the Chiefs, and that's what it comes (laughs) down to in this division. So one thing that I love about Keenan Allen is he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly able-bodied, but even now, and last year was really when you saw a lot of tread on those tires. You saw him falling over a lot because like you said, this offense they're running in LA, it it requires you to run with the ball and you're getting the ball sort of quickly a lot of the time. And Keenan Allen at this stage of his career is not burning anybody down the field for the yards after catch. But what stands out to me is, and, and I still would say that to me, he has to be the second best receiver in that division because even if you look at him in this diminished capacity last year, he still was outproducing Mike Williams, who, by all accounts, is a physical freak, way better in terms of like physicality right now, speed, everything. But on the actual field, on a play-to-play basis, Keenan Allen is the guy who, every third down, he is open, he is available, and he's making high-leverage third-down catches. He was literally deserves way more credit in that offense than I think a lot of other guys got last year, because they were placed in third and short so often, and... The whole offensive game plan in third and short was essentially, Keenan, go do something, please. Right, and that doesn't win you ballgames. That's my whole point. When you take a look at the pressure situations, and especially against the AFC West, how many games did he actually contribute to the outcome? That's fair, but but I also think that of their issues last year, I would say that Keenan Allen ranks relatively low. I mean, a lot of, I think, their, their challenges last year were more to do with this offense being designed to shepherd teams down running the ball down their throat and they just weren't any good at stopping the run and if the entire purpose of your defense is to say okay run it at us and they're like okay i'm gonna run for 10 yards a clip then keenan allen it doesn't matter he's it's all for naught that's that's fair but that still doesn't diminish the facts or the facts just because you have some bigger problem out there that turns <laughs> determines outcomes doesn't mean that he's off the hook so what is the case for Cortland Sutton over Keenan Allen as a talent? I, I think what you see from him is the multiple ways that he can win. He can go over the top and, and high point it. He can actually get loose. His route running has improved. And I think it's kind of like the changing of the guard here. Maybe two seasons ago, Keenan was still better, but I see them passing each other. And obviously, when everybody's chasing Devontae Adams, I think that raises the boat for everybody. But it's a question of, can a younger player now ascend a little bit more than, like you said, Allen, who's, who's getting up there a little bit? I'm totally with you on the uh, on the Cortland Sutton. At this point of his career, I, I would buy into him over Keenan. If at the very least, like you said, like he's a player on the ascent. He was coming off an ACL and really contributed last year in a major way, and now he's getting the best quarterback of his career by a wide margin. And I think that that Broncos offense is going to try to justify at every opportunity having Russell Wilson on their team. They better. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up a little bit here. Uh, my final few questions. So over under on the Chiefs this year set at ten and a half. Do you see them going over, under? How do you feel about the Chiefs going into this year? I take the over pretty handily. Okay. Um, I I have them somewhere between 13 and 12 wins. The question is, it's not going to be the 20-point deficits, the 15-point wins. It's going to be 
single digits for most of this season. And the games that they do drop, it's not just going to be the Bills and the Bucks. They're going to drop to somebody in this division, and I think it might be the Chargers. If they sleep again and they have those continued matchup problems, it's not going to be a walk. Do they fall to 10? I just can't see that, though. That's just too far-fetched for me. You know, I've put a lot of thought into this because it feels almost dirty at this point in time after what the Chiefs have done over the last several years to put the under on the Chiefs. But in projecting the season, I just have this nagging feeling that this is the year that the Chiefs are good. They get to the playoffs as a 10-win team, and they're the team that nobody wants to face. For whatever reason, I think in likelihood, it's because they don't really have a lot of letups this year. They're, they're playing a first place schedule. They're, they're playing a, a murderer's row of teams. And even within their division, even the, the Broncos, who I'm pretty down on in terms of what their actual team is going to boil down to, I still think they're not going to be an easy out on a week to week basis. And if you're not getting any easy outs and you're playing this first place out of conference schedule, I think that this may be the year that the Chiefs actually go under and, and they, they still are a dangerous team in the playoffs, but they're a 10 win team. That's not a bet that I'd make, but I know somebody will. I will say this too, though. I think the the team that is left out of the playoff scenario from the AFC West might be plus 500. I could totally see that happening. I, I think that the AFC West and the, I'm a Steelers fan, the AFC North, I think is another sort of murderer's row of, of talent, not at the necessarily Super Bowl level talent, but I think that we have a lot of good teams in that division. I, I think that the AFC right now is so loaded talent wise and mm-hmm. just coaching wise. We have a lot of really good coaches there as well. You very well may see a 500 team plus getting getting knocked out this year so thanks so much ryan for coming on the show i appreciate your time you have anything you want to plug before you go no everything can be found through the the twitter handle at ryan tracy nfl um and over at rogueapc.com that's where everything starts but i'm on locked on chiefs i'm on locked on nfl draft nfl33.com we have a number of irons in the fire and we cover not just the kansas city chiefs but the league at whole um obviously i do a lot of draft consulting for uh the league as well so a lot of input there Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe, for joining the show. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week. And until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.